time of year when many people are making New Year's resolutions. And so I thought, well, why don't we follow suit? It's a good idea to make resolutions at the beginning of the year. Uh, many resolve to do better. Maybe it's to break a bad habit. Then there are other times, not necessarily at the beginning of a new year, when resolutions or promises are made to God. And perhaps under these kind of conditions, time of trouble, maybe of danger, in deep sorrow, maybe under these conditions we find that uh, the resolutions are more meaningful. There's more conviction, a stronger feeling, maybe more genuine. Brother Homer Haley, back, I believe it must have been in the 40s, found that he had cancer in his neck, near his ear. The doctor sent him to Houston. Even then they were doing cancer operations, and Brother Haley told God if he would bring him out of this operation, he would serve him the rest of his life preaching the gospel. Well, he did that even after that point. He'd been preaching for years. He only died recently, just a few weeks ago. But he made that resolution under circumstances that probably got his attention more than New Year's resolutions. We find New Year's resolutions in the Bible. For example, in Daniel 1 and 8, we read that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's dainties nor with the wine which he drank. He purposed, made a resolution. He resolved in his heart, and that's where it all has to begin, not to defile himself. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, that each man do according as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now we know the context. He's speaking about giving for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But he says, let each man purpose in his heart. Whether it's this or some other subject. James 4 and 17 says to him, therefore, that knoweth to do good. And doeth it not. To him it is sin. And we can see areas in our life that need improving. We need to make a resolution right then to resolve in our hearts to change it. Whether it's to improve, overcome something that's wrong, we don't know. Christians should not wait until a new year to make a resolution to do what's right and good. We should do all that we can with God's help to keep these resolutions. They're not just to be made and then flippantly overlooked. Paul said in Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So there's the strength that we all need and can avail ourselves of. However, some people find that, find out on January the 2nd, that it's much easier to break a resolution than to break a bad habit. And so many New Year's resolutions are not kept. Paul, would you put our chart up on the board, please? So we'd like to use this acrostic. 
to study resolutions. Paul has kindly listed the, the word, and uh, we've been having these acrostics for a while. First letter in resolution is R. And we're going to use that R to encourage ourselves to read the Bible daily. Resolve to read the Bible daily. Well, it's in the Bible that God revealed himself. We want to know more about him. God has revealed his will. He tells us what he wants us to do and how we can please him. That's found in the Bible. Our faith is strengthened. It comes, Romans 10 and 17, by the word of God, and it's strengthened by studying the word of God. So, can you think of a more helpful resolution? It keeps us near Jesus. I think it was the last bulletin we put out, we, we suggested read the Bible through. And in my Bible, if you read three and a half pages, you can finish it in a year. That's 66 books. Now, perhaps some of you would rather just concentrate on the New Testament. But the New Testament is important, maybe more important to us today than the old, but we understand the new better by our knowledge of the old. Whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. It's a lot of good that comes from studying the whole Bible. But if you'd like to start, start in the New Testament. You can't go wrong. Then maybe you'll want to go back to the old. I don't know if uh, you ever hear of David Letterman, but he has these lists of ten. In fact, he has so many, he's put them in a book. I didn't get this from him, but here's somebody's list, the top ten ways you know you're neglecting the Old Testament. It starts with ten. Ten ways to know that you are neglecting the Old Testament. Number ten, the preacher announces a sermon from Genesis and you check the table of contents. <laughs> Find out where Genesis is. Number nine, you think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a few hits during the 60s. Number eight, you open to Ecclesiastes and a war bond from World War II falls out. Number seven, your favorite Old Testament patriarch is Hercules. And number six, a small family of woodchucks has been has taken residence in the Psalms. Number five, you become frustrated because Charlton Heston is not listed in the concordance. Number four, catching the kids reading Song of Solomon, you demand, who gave you this trash? Number three, you think the minor prophets worked in quarries, you know, minor prophets. Number two, you keep falling for it every time the preacher says, turn to condominiums. <laughs> and number one, the kids are asking too many questions about your unusual bedtime stories like Johan the shepherd boy and his ark of many colors. Well, 
It's good to know more and more about the Bible, and it just takes time to do it, doesn't it? That's one resolution. Another is resolve to encourage others. That's our E, encourage others. Sometimes just a word of approval or even a smile can be a great help. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we read, And we exhort you, brethren, admonish, that is, warn the disorderly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Support the weak and be long-suffering toward all. Uh, that's a Christian responsibility. We are to encourage one another. There was a class of 12-year-olds. They were cheerfully singing Men of Harlech. Now, I don't know what that song was, but that's what they were singing. This was in public school when the teacher left her piano and walked up and down the rows of children singing. And suddenly she cried, Stop! And pointing to a boy, she said, You, stop singing. And the rest of the class were told to continue with a song which the teacher said sounded much better. That boy never sang another note for a long time. He had accepted that he would never be able to sing. Some years later, a word of encouragement from a relative was powerful enough to cause that young man to believe in himself again. We can discourage, but what we want to do is encourage. Here's a little poem about encouragement. Each time we meet, you always say some word of praise that makes my day. You see some hidden struggling trait, encourage it and make it great. Tight-fisted little buds of good Bloom large because you said they would. A glad, mad music in me sings. My soul sprouts tiny, flaming wings. My day takes on a brand new zest. Your gift of praising brings my best. Revives my spirit, flings it high. For God loves praise, and so do I. The author's unknown. The best, the best way you can encourage me is by just being faithful to the Lord. The best way to encourage one another, my brothers and sisters, is by being faithful to the Lord. That encourages everybody else. S, resolve to sing more. We have some excellent singers in this congregation. And uh, we're, we're happy about that. I was just telling Laverne the other day that there's one thing I wish the Lord had given me. I mean, there's a lot of things I need, but there's one thing that comes to my mind, and that I wish he'd given me a voice to sing, even to speak, but especially to sing. I've got an octave. I, I started middle C on the piano. That's down here. I can hardly go up to the next C. That's just one octave. But you folks, we have a lot of good song leaders as well as singers. And there's, look, James 5 and 13. Is any among you 
suffering, let him pray. Is any cheerful, let him sing praise. That's what the Lord tells us to do. Speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to God or to the Lord, Ephesians 5, 19. So we need to sing out. One other passage, 1 Corinthians 14 and 15, I will sing with the understanding and I will sing with the Spirit. We need to understand what we're singing and what needs to come from the heart. That's the idea, is not. Resolve to sing more and let's resolve to observe the Lord's day. Now every day is the Lord's day. I mean, he's made them all, has he not? But in a special way, the first day of the week belongs to the Lord. It's not my day. It's the Lord's day. It's not my parents' day. Not my children's day. It's not my in-laws' days. This day belongs to the Lord in a special way. It's called the Lord's day, Revelation 1 and 9, isn't it? It's the Lord's day. But how are we to serve the Lord on his day? It doesn't mean that we're to live this special Christian life just on the first day of the week and sort of do our own thing the rest of the week. But every day, we're to meet with saints on the Lord's day without fail to worship him in his way. Acts 20 and verse 7, upon the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul preached to us. Upon the first day of every week, let each one of you lay by him in store. That's Acts 20 and 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. So we know that the Lord's Day is a special day for Christians. The woman said to the judge, Your Honor, I want a divorce from my husband. He has become slack in his appearance. The judge said, A divorce? for being slack in appearance? The woman said, that's right, your honor, slack in appearance. He hasn't appeared around the house for two years. Well, slack in appearance could apply to the Lord's assemblies, could it not? We're not to forsake his assembly. Resolve to observe the Lord's day in the Lord's way. And let's resolve to love more. First Peter 4 and 8. Above all things, be fervent in your loves, in your love toward one another. For love covereth a multitude of sins. Now, let me read how that's rendered in other versions. First Peter 4 and 8. Keep your love for one another strong. Preserve constant love among yourselves. Have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love shall cover the multitude of sins. For love throws a veil over countless sins. Love hides a host of sins. Love counsels innumerable sins. So let's love one another more. Then Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you. 
practice loving those who have wronged us. We know that love should beget love. We think about the height, I believe it's Ephesians 3.20, the height and the length and the breadth and the depth of God's love, it amazes us. And John also was amazed, he said in 1 John 3 and 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such are we, and such we are. I read about brother and sister, both of them young. And the, the little girl, the little sister had a rare disease, needed a transfusion. On top of that, she had a rare type of blood. But they found that the little brother had the same type of blood. He could give his blood that would help her. So the doctors asked the little brother if he would give the transfusion. But the little boy hesitated just a moment. And then he agreed to do it. And as he lay on the table beside his sister, he asked the doctor, Sir, when will I die? It was not until then that all of them realized that the little boy thought he was giving his life in order that his little sister might live. And he was willing to do it. God commendeth his own love into us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 8. Do we love because he first loved us? We should. 1 John 5, 19. Love one another. We're looking for love. Think about this. When you come together to worship, when we come together to worship, or when we see each other on the streets, or when you work side by side with your brother or sister in Christ, remember that the world is watching. And they're not looking for the right answers to the right questions. And they're not looking for the correct way to worship. They're looking for love. That's important to them. And it should be important to us. Resolve to love more. And then let us resolve to use all that we have as a steward of God. And you say, well, this is mine. I mean, this is my Bible. I got it. This is my Bible too. And and we talk about what's mine or ours. But really it all belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. But in our society, what's mine's mine, what's yours is yours. But God says we're stewards and everything is his. He's just loaning it to us. Because we're not going to take it with us. It's just going to be here until we leave. And then somebody else is going to use it. We need to be good stewards while we're here. And while it's in our possession. 1 Corinthians 4 and 2, that it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful with that which has been entrusted to him. We think about the parable of the talents. 
Man had five talents given to him, another two, another one. The ones with the five and the two doubled others. They used them. The one with the one talent hid his, and the Lord condemned him. We read in the judgment, Matthew 25, how the Lord said, When you took care of these people who were in need, this one was hungry, this one was a thirst, this one was naked, this was a stranger, this one was in prison and sick, and you, you took care of their needs. And inasmuch as you did it under the one of these the least, you did it under me. That's the way Jesus looks at that, looks at us and how we ought to be using our stewardship in a good way. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. That we should not... Uh, I'm trying to get that started right. Uh, not in, be not in well-doing... For in due season, if you faint not, ye shall reap. So then as we have opportunity, work that which is good toward all men, and especially toward them of the household of the faith. So we're not to be weak and give up. We're to continue to serve. Resolve each precious day to do things good and kind and pure. Though days and years may pass away, these things shall still endure. Two out of every three people in the world go to bed hungry tonight. And we're blessed. Two out of three go to bed hungry. So as stewards, we need to use what the Lord has entrusted to us in this life. Well, what is the Lord's people to do? Well, we're to evangelize the lost, we're to edify the saved, but to help the needy, like the orphans, the lepers, foreign native preachers. Also, we're to resolve to think pure thoughts. A formula for right, godly thinking is found in Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And that'll help us. Think pure thoughts. Because it's the thoughts that shape our lives. What did the wise man say in Proverbs 23 and 7? As a man thinketh within himself, so is he. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, Proverbs 4 and 23. So resolve to think pure thoughts. Well, another resolution. Resolve to invite others. We need to invite people to Jesus Christ. We need to invite them to our assembly service, to our Bible studies, in our classes. Or invite them to study with you or with me. Hmm. We know from Romans 1 and 16, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power unto salvation, so we need to share that with others, so we need to invite them. We have visitors quite often, sometimes even Sunday night. Last Sunday night, we had a, a couple that had been here before on Sunday morning. They were here last Sunday night. So when visitors come, we all need to be here to welcome them. Encourage them and let them know that Jesus is real in our lives. That we're not lukewarm in our faith. 
Nine, we need to resolve to overcome temptations. Didn't Jesus teach in one of his lessons on prayer, bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one? Matthew 9, and I mean Matthew 6, verse 13. We know we can overcome temptation. The Lord has given us the assurance. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, there is no temptation taken you, but such as man can bear. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation. Make also the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When I'm tempted, when you're tempted, what do we have to do? Just turn to the Lord. He has a way, he knows our temptation. And he'll not allow us to be tempted about that which we're able. He has a way of escape. And why should we ignore that? When we could use it to please him. Overcome our temptations. But what about the timing of temptations? The timing of temptations. I've got something here that tells us about the timing of temptations. <laughs> I can just find it. And the thought is, I'm sure that's an odd thing, and somebody didn't take that. <laughs> the timing of temptations. I'll tell you where it is. It's on my desk. <laughs> I'll tell you the idea of it is. The devil, he's not as apt to tempt us when we're singing a song from the heart to praise God. He's not as apt to tempt us when we've got our Bible open and with a sincere heart we're trying to find out what God wants us to do. He's not so apt to tempt us while we're praying to God from the heart. Think about David. It was in the wake of his mentor Samuel's death that he was tempted to get revenge. Think about Jesus. He was tempted to take the rocks and make bread out of it. He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights when Satan came and said, you know, thou art the son of God, do this and do that. And you'll find other examples. And so that's when Satan looks to tempt us. When we're not ready, we can overcome our temptations. Three words. Think about persist, insist, and desist. That is, we determine that we're not going to let the devil tempt us. That we're going to resist his every advancement. And we're going to persist in even living the Christian life. So we need to resolve to overcome our temptations. We need to resolve, if you're a parent, to nurture your children in the Lord. Ephesians 6 and 4, ye fathers, provoke not your children under wrath, but nurture them in the chastening and in the admonition of the Lord. He's telling parents to bring up your children with the Lord's teaching, training, and instruction. We'll talk more about this in another lesson. And finally, we need to resolve to give diligence, or the King James says study, to show thyself approved unto God, workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly handling or rightly dividing the word of truth, the word of God. Now, the, the bottom line, the main point in this is to show thyself approved unto God. 
And he says it takes effort. Some versions say give diligence to see God's approval. The King James says study to have God's approval. But we're looking for God's approval. And it takes effort. Let me uh, give you some more render- renderings of this passage. In uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God or give diligence to pre- present thyself unto God. Earnestly endeavor to present thyself unto God. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Try hard to show yourself worthy of God's approval. Let it be your care to get the approval of God. Aim first at winning God's approval. Be diligent to present thyself unto God as one proved trustworthy by trial. And so you see the main line there. Seek to be pleasing and approved of God. And so we need to learn his will to do that. We need to do it continually. We need to start now. We need to start today. And we must not procrastinate. 